And uh, I need uh, a couple kids to come up here. If you went to Miracle Camp and uh, this past week or previous week or so, would you come up here real quick? We're just going to take like two or three minutes. And, uh, and I asked a couple of them ahead of time to be prepared for this. And the others are like, huh? And uh, a lot of kids already went back to Children's Church and I grabbed a couple before they got back there. And uh, others are gone. And there's a few others that are, look like they're too shy to come up. So I'll take the three that are here. I got you. All right. Way to be bold. Way to be brave. Way to be not ashamed, right? Okay. Real quick, tell us your name, and we'll just start there. First and last name. Okay, Bo, hold on to that. Okay, Bo, tell me one thing that you really enjoyed about camp. I mean, it was super, super fun, okay? And then we'll pass the mic down. Going on the blob. Going on the blob. Is this, I don't know, we get this, maybe I didn't turn this on. Nope, there we go, hold it right up there. Just say it again so everybody can hear it. Going on the blob. The blob, okay, which is a big uh, jello gelatin thing you jump in, right? Kind of. Kind of. The blob is what? Can you tell us real quick? Because some people know what a blob is. They got, some of us got called blobs when we were kids, okay? We'll put the mic over right there. It's like this balloon thing that go, sits on the water, and you jump on it, and the person on the front flies off. So if you can picture, for those of you who don't know how to picture this, picture a big Twinkie, okay? Huge full of air. There's one kid sitting on the one end of the Twinkie, the blob, and there's another kid up here that jumps down onto it. When he jumps, all the air that he, when he hits that blob, pushes this kid into the water, right? Yeah. Camp is great. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead and head next, Michael. All right. Next fun thing. Going to chapel. Going to chapel. That was fun. I'm really, seriously? I know, pastor's son. I've... <laughs> All right, let's see. Okay, outside of chapel, what was, what was really next fun after that, okay? Buying candy. What? Buying candy. Blind candy? No, buying. Buying. Oh, buying candy, I'm sorry. Can you tell we have communication problems at our own home, okay? Uh, buying candy is always fun. Okay, pass the mic down. Trevor, something really fun, okay? Octoball. What is it? Octoball. Octoball. See, when you go to camp, you get all these crazy blob, octoball. What is octoball? It's when you, like, it's like this big mud, mud pit where it can't touch your feet or waist below. And if it does, you're out, and you can only use your hands. Wow. It <laughs> does sound fun, okay? So hold on the mic now. I'm going to pass it back that way. So you had a lot of fun times at camp. Now tell me something. Did God speak to you? Did you, like, when you're at chapel or in your cabin or you're reading something, it's like, boy, God really challenged me at this. This is what I, I walked away from camp learning this about God, and I really want to work hard at it. Can you give me one thing? Um, just to keep, oh, just to take, there's two paths, one of life and one of death, death, and I really want to be on that life path, so. Awesome. Good. Duh. Keep on praying, even if God doesn't answer your prayer, just keep on praying about it until he answers it. That you don't have to pray just three times a day. You can pray and add as long as you want or as many times as you want. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Guys, nice job. You go ahead and head off back there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. You know, it, it is um, truly amazing and, and um, fun to see what's going on in the lives of young people. 
And, and I want to keep bringing that before you. You know, I, I know that wasn't in the notes. Hey, let's have the kids come forward, all that kind of stuff, and show this. But this morning, you know, again, it's like, hey, it's working great. Let's show it. And two, we get some kids to come back from camp, and they're pretty fired up. And how dare us not let them share their faith? They're not ashamed of it. Shout it from the rooftops, right? So get on up here, kids, adults, same way with you. I mean, something incredible happens in your week. You share your faith with somebody. You see God answer prayer in an amazing way. Maybe you got slammed in the face in a, in a, in a bad way, and you just want to express, you know what? I did not have a good week, but God is still with me, and I'll praise that, okay? Tell me. Bring it up here. Let's share it. It's the body of Christ, right? Brothers and sisters in Christ, worshiping together, sharing together, and it's good for us to make sure that we keep acknowledging it's not about us, it's about an amazing God that helps us make it through life. Right? Uh, with that being said, I want to move into the service. And as I move into the service, um, this is not meant to step on anybody's toes, okay? But I want to say this. This morning, um, I've been praying hard about today's service. And this morning, because of what I am praying for, and what I'm praying that God will do to this body of believers that are here this morning in these seats right now, right here, not knowing who is going to be here today, if... if at any point in time during a service, um, and, and I'm looking around now and I don't see any really young kids, but if at any point in time in the service, if there are any, I don't see any, but if there were, uh, there's some crying going on or da-da-da, feel free to go to the nursery or children's church with your kids. That's okay, right? And, and you all know me. You all know that when kids cry in here, I don't point them out and say, get them out of here. You know, you know me. I just talk louder, right? Uh, because I love having kids in here. Because I think children need to learn how to worship. And I know a lot of your children, you know, hear what's going on in the Word. They need that. So you'll never hear me scoot a child out of this place. Never. Okay? But today, if you did have a child in here, I was going to say, feel free to take them back to children's church because I need your focus today. Okay? As an adult, I need you completely zoomed in today. If you have one of these, okay? Make sure it's on vibrate. Okay? Roger and I already talked. Okay? Um, and, and it can be such a distraction. And again, from what God's laid on my heart to share with you today, I don't want this to be a distraction. I don't want people around you to be a distraction. I'm going to pray right now that we sort of just get focused in because um, God did one of those, you know, right between here uh, with me on Friday. And it was a good day. It was a good day. And, um, and, I, and I just, and when I've been preparing for this message, God just said, go ahead, share it. Really? I've not preached on this passage before. Yeah, you need to share it. And here's why, and it's crystal clear to me. And I hope it's crystal clear to you when we get done today, okay? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome and mighty God you are. I thank you so much for this church. I thank you so much for those that are here today. Lord, there are some here that are visiting today. It's their first time. And they walked in and they have no clue what's going on now because the pastor just got up and sort of threw down some things. And then there's people here, Lord, that have been here since day one. Lord, I thank you for each and every one that is here. Lord, I pray right now that we can just have just a complete focus on you and your word. Your spirit speaks louder than me. Lord, thank you that we can be a part of a church that you said a couple thousand years ago you would build. Here we are. Thank you, Lord, that we can worship you today. 
I thank you, Lord, that there are hundreds and thousands and millions of people worshiping you today in other little churches and big churches all around the world. I thank you for them, Lord. They're not our competition. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we lift them up in prayer too. I pray, Lord, that today all around Northwest Ohio, churches are just getting fired up for you. So together we can celebrate because, Lord, there's no way we can face this world and face the enemy alone. We need you, and we need you working through each of us. Lord, we love you. In my name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, when you hear the phrase, going home, what comes to mind? Let me say it. Hey, I'm going home this weekend. What just popped in your mind? If you're a college student, go ahead, what? Heaven. Heaven. Oh, that, that was not the home I was thinking. That's a great home. Wow. You're a college student. Going home this weekend. Maybe you've moved away, live a couple hours away, and you say, I'm going home this weekend. Maybe you're um, older, like uh, Bob, uh, or I'm sorry, Bill Norris's dad, who's 93, uh, that passed away. If you would have asked him yesterday, going home, what would he have said? Heaven. What comes to your mind when you say, I'm going home, going home? You know, I, I'm sure you have mixed thoughts. Uh, both good and bad, okay? For some of you, going home is like, oh, yeah. This means like, wouldn't want to do it, right? Let's just talk about that for a second, okay? Like the bad side, uh, some of you couldn't wait to leave home as adults. You just couldn't wait to get out of your house. You couldn't wait to move out of your town. You couldn't wait to get away from the environment that you were raised. I just want to get out of there, right? And maybe there's some pain, there's some hurt. Maybe there's no connection, with anybody. You just felt so isolated, so alone, so depressed. Maybe there was pain, and one way or another, it, it was just, you just didn't want to be around people. Maybe you didn't have family. There was no peace in your home. There was arguing, there was fighting, there was hurt. Maybe uh, there was no love. There's no good memories there. I say, hey, think back when you were a kid, what was a good memory? Like, I have none past is maybe tainted. You don't want to return. So when somebody says, hey, I'm going home this weekend, you're thinking, poor you. Maybe that's the first thought that comes to your mind. Maybe you don't want to go home because your reputation was bad growing up, but now when you go home, people look at you like, remember the way you were. Oof. I know you're different now, but man, maybe that's why you don't want to go. Bottom line is, when somebody says, hey, I'm going home, you don't want to go home. You don't want to have anything to do with your past, where you were raised, the environment, right? Let's do the flip side of that coin. I can't wait to go home. Because see, when I grew up, we have so many good memories because I had a great family. When you say family, oh, then that just floods with a whole other set of good memories, right? You start thinking about the activities and, and the games. Somebody's, you know, when the movie Lone Ranger came out just recently with Disney, you know, I don't know if you maybe heard about it, saw it. When I heard about Lone Ranger coming, you know what I thought? The winter, was it 78, the blizzard of 78? We got snowed in, like, uh, when I grew up in Indiana, we got snowed in four weekends in a row. Okay, when you grow up on a farm and you're snowed in four weekends in a row, you're not going to church, you're trying to plow out the lane, but if the weather's bad, you're just inside. My dad loved listening to the Lone Ranger. And he liked listening to radio, then he liked watching it on black and white TV. And then, so he sort of got his kids, like, we get to watch Lone Ranger on Sunday morning. And then we'd play Skipbo, or we'd play Uno, we'd play Dutch Blitz. You know, we did all the card games. You, know, you talk about good memories as a kid growing up. You know, the festivities we enjoy, eating around the table. Hey, pass me a roll. 
When we said pass me a roll at home, you know what that meant. Hands up. Okay? It wasn't you passed the plate. No, you picked up a roll and you tossed it. And when you passed the butter, you tried to pass the butter so you could stick their, their thumb in it, you know? Four boys, one sister. Uh, I'm sorry, five boys, one sister. It's bound to happen, right? Um, holidays are special, right? Going home meant, um, I'm going to go back to where I graduated and see all my old buddies, my old friends. Homecoming is special for a lot of people, right? So bottom line for that is it's good to go home. So let me say this again. When I say going home, what comes to your mind? The bad or the good? Now let me ask you this. If you were Jesus and they're saying, hey, Jesus, we're going to go home. Going home, Jesus. Now if you remember Mark chapter 5, we had the story where Jesus crossed the lake demon-possessed man came out of the caves, tossed the demons into 2,000 pigs. They went off the cliff into the lake and drowned. People came out upset with Jesus. And the man that was healed was saying, Jesus, can I go with you? And Jesus says, no. And the other people who just saw Jesus do an incredible miracle were saying, Jesus, get out of here. So Jesus answers the prayer of those who were unrighteous and didn't answer the prayer of the righteous. That's sort of weird, wasn't it? Uh, you want to come with me? No. You want me to leave? Okay. So Jesus left. But what did he do with the righteous man? You go tell everybody now. You're not coming with me. You know why you're not coming with me? Because you're going to go do incredible things in my name for other people. Get on your mission field. Go. Do you want me to leave? I'll leave. And he left. Then we got a story where he healed uh, a woman who had a bleeding disorder. And then we, he brought a, another girl back to life. And he, all this goes on, okay? And he gets done with that. And they're like, hey, Jesus, let's go home. Turn your Bibles to Mark 6. Mark 6. <coughs> Excuse me. Mark chapter 6 is where we're going to pick up. And then uh, Mark 6, and again, for your disciple partners, everybody out there, and if you don't have a disciple partner but you're still doing this, keep it up. We read Mark 5 and 6 on your own this week. Read Mark chapter 7, okay? Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus left that part of the country. Okay, so we just talked about that from Mark 5. He left that part of the country, returned with the disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. Hey, we're going home. Flood memories. Here they come. Good, bad. What are they? I'd have to think they're good. Verse 2. The next Sabbath, he's home, okay? Next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue. Now, I'm telling you something. If I go back to Wakarusa, Indiana, and show up at Bible Baptist Church and start preaching, first of all, it's not going to happen. Okay, um, for a multitude of reasons, as much as I'd love to, it's not going to happen because I'm not a part of that church, so I'm not going to be a guest speaker, okay? But if I were to show up at that church and to preach, so you can sort of imagine, you know, hey, Rex is back. Hey, hey, I remember when you were a little kid, okay? He's up, and I get to get up there and I start preaching. Now, sort of just sort of picture, okay? The next Sabbath, Jesus began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. They were amazed. And they said, where did he get all this wisdom? and the power to perform such miracles. So he wasn't only teaching, he was also doing some incredible miracles. He's just the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Ow. Let's read on. Then Jesus said, this is the verse we always hear quoted, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his family. <clears throat> and because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any mighty miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he, Jesus, 
was amazed at their unbelief. I don't know about you, how many times have we passed through that scripture? We read that scripture, we get the part, oh, a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. Yep. Go back home, people just don't respect you anymore. I can go preach anywhere and people will say, oh. Now, preach in my hometown, I feel like it just wrecks. Right? So, prophets without honor in his own hometown, right? So, we know that scripture. But did you catch everything else that was going on in there? Let me help you out because I missed it too. So, Jesus moves on, right? It's good to be home. But check out what they say. Where did he get all these things? Where, where did he come up with all this? Because in his hometown, Jesus faced a crowd of people that became so wondering, how did you become so powerful? How did you become such a great teacher? When you left this town, Jesus, you were a carpenter. You had tools, you had wood, you had stone, you had all these things you worked with and you built. But Jesus, you weren't a teacher. You weren't a rabbi. You, matter of fact, you didn't even have a rabbi. Now you come back as a rabbi and you have a complete group of disciples with you. What happened to you? It isn't hard to see how the Nazareth locals would sort of wondered what happened to him because he was different, right? But think about this. He lived there for, what, 30 years? That's his hometown. We're not talking the town the size of Wasian. We're talking a small town. Everybody knows your name. Everybody knows you. 30 years, Jesus walks around. Everybody knew this kid never messed up, right? He was Jesus. He was perfect. He was sinless. Oh, every, you know, everybody knows that kid, right? The kid in that class, that, man, that kid is just, man, I love having that boy in my class. I love having that girl in my class. She, she always gives such good answers. She's so polite. Oh, he's always so kind. He's always so helpful. You ask any teacher, any coach, anybody that has a group of kids that works with, there's always, there's always that one or two kids that just really stick out than everybody else because their character is so high, right? That was Jesus in this town. His reputation had to be incredible. Did you ever go back to your hometown and somebody say, oh yeah, I remember when you were little, you used to fill in the blank, right? Okay. So here's Jesus coming back to his hometown. What do they say about him, first thing? Is this not the carpenter? I'm going to tell you something, first of all. They weren't just saying, hey, let's talk about your occupation. This was not a compliment. Okay? It's a way of pointing out that Jesus had no theological training. Pastor's up here preaching, right? Somebody on the congregation said, hey, you didn't go to college, did you? You never went to seminary. I don't even think you're ordained. Where's your credentials, pastor? That's sort of what they were doing, okay? Never a formal disciple of a rabbi. Watch yourself. Himself being a, a prominent rabbi. And through time, people thought actually that Jesus' employment as a carpenter somehow discredited his message. Can you believe that? Because he was a carpenter, probably really couldn't bend that great of a teacher. You know what? Amazing that a job and an occupation brings with it a reputation, right? I'm going to pick on somebody here real quick so Phil don't get upset with me. But <clears throat> Phil, as a farmer, do you ever feel like sometimes you get looked down upon because you're a farmer? you ever felt growing up in life or people like, oh, well, he's just a farmer or, well, they're just farmers. You, at any point in time, have you ever felt that? Anytime? Each of you look at your own occupation, the job that God's given you. Have you ever felt not worthy because of that? And is that maybe why we try to aspire to have titles? Well, if I was the CEO or the CFO or the president, vice, 
soon as I get a title, well, maybe my occupation is a little more important because I've got title, right? I'll tell you, growing up on a farm, I just say it, picking on you, Phil, because I grew up on a farm, and we were the farm kids. See, the school district I lived in, south of Kern Road, you're the farm kids. Seriously, when we had bad uh, winters, kids north, they got plowed out first. Kids south didn't because we were out on the farms and the roads were worse. So in town, so what, you know what our schools actually did? They would still have school, but kids south of Kern didn't have to go. That was all right. Okay, I like that. You know, buses couldn't get to us. You know, they're like, well, just ride your snowmobiles in or bring your tractors in. Uh, no, they called off school south of Kern. I don't know how the teachers got anything done with half a class. They really don't. Uh, but that's what happened. But we always got joked about, was, well, you're, you're the farm kids. And we also got, you know, like the sports teams, you know, football, because our football team, well, you got farm kids on your team, man, you know? It's like, yeah. Yeah, we throw bales like we throw people. What, you know, what's that all about? I don't know. Um, but it just sort of seemed like <clears throat> it was because of a reputation of, of that occupation you're looked down upon. And I sit there and say, I wouldn't have wanted to be anything else growing up. You learn to work hard, right? You learn to feed a nation. There, there's certain things that come with what you do in life. And so often we use that occupation as a way to rip on somebody instead of compliment somebody. And that's what they were doing with Jesus. If you think about what Jesus as a carpenter, he would look at a piece of wood and see the potential in it, right? As a carpenter, and say, what can I do with this? Jesus saw it. And he created something out of a chunk of wood. And then maybe there's scraps. There weren't scraps then. If there's something left over, it was used for something. He does that with us too, doesn't he? He looks at us as people and he sees, God says, I see the potential in you. You don't see it yet. You look in the mirror and you just see flesh and bone. God looks at us and says, this is what I'm going to do with you. And a lot of times people get rejected and they get left alone or they get isolated and and by themselves, and we're like, well, they'll, they'll figure out. God said, no, no, there ain't no leftovers in my kingdom. I use everyone. I don't care your occupation, your title, whatever it is, your, your ethnic background, the, the kind of family you grew up in or lack of family you grew up in, I use everybody for everything. You think about, you know, Jesus as a carpenter, he learned that it takes time to make something usable. Uh, we're... <clears throat> looking for a uh, kitchen table not too long ago. We've had a dining room table since the day we were married, or the time we got married. So over 20 years, we've had the same dining room table. And we're thinking, maybe it's time to get a different table. So we started looking around, and we went to, um, <coughs> excuse me, a furniture store towards Defiance. And it's the uh, Amish-made furniture, and, and I think it's Heron's is what it's called, and never been there before. So we went and checked it out and started asking questions. And discovered, like, oh, well, that's the table. I'm sorry, you're not going to buy it right here. So what's going to happen is, is that if you choose this table, we'll order it for you, and it's going to take about 12 weeks because these gentlemen, these Amish gentlemen, are going to take wood, and they're going to make it for you, and it's going to take about 12 weeks. It's like, wow, I thought I'd just go to Walmart and pick something out. I guess that's much better. Um, but what I was learning from that and just thinking about it is it really took a great amount of time to create something very special. And if you are a carpenter, you understand that. And that's what God again looks at us and says, you're a work in progress. We all are. And he's working on us. 
The people went on to say, not only is he just a carpenter, which wasn't a compliment, but they also went on to say, oh, that's the son of Mary. Again, that's not a compliment. It's actually disapproving. It's contrary to, to Jewish usage of language as you usually describe somebody as the son of a certain man, not the son of his mother. Okay? Even if she was a widow, and at that point in time she probably was, you still don't do that. It should have been Jesus' son of Joseph, but no, this is Jesus' son of Mary. So really it wasn't exactly a warm welcome. Think about this. As he walks into this, there's a little skepticism. Hey, is this Jesus? Then there's some sarcasm. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary. He's not even really a good teacher, is he? He's not credentialed. So you sort of get this downward spiral of skepticism and sarcasm and doubt and then name-calling as they look at Jesus. And I think sometimes it goes on with us. Oh, weren't you a troublemaker? Hey, you used to go to the parties, right? Oh, growing up, you never went to church, did you? Oh, I remember you. You use God's name a lot when you get angry. Why would you go to church? The same thing sort of happens with us when we run into people. We sort of hear the skepticism and people, oh, you're a Christian now? And the sarcasm, oh, really? And then they doubt you and then maybe some name calling. All of a sudden, where do you put yourself at? You put yourself in a position, and I put myself in a position of, I'm not worthy really to be a child of God. <clears throat> Jesus said to them, look at verse 4. <clears throat> a prophet is honored everywhere except his hometown, among his relatives and family. And because of this unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them. See, verse 5 is for, where really, I guess, I stopped in my tracks and I thought, well, because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them. You know, in, the, in this climate of unbelief, the power of Jesus was limited. One author said this, God may work with no belief, but not with unbelief. Think about it. God may work with no belief, but not with unbelief. This was unbelief. I wondered if Jesus could have wowed them with miracles, right? Oh, you guys don't believe me? Check this out. You know, and done something amazing. Oh, you don't believe me? Watch this. You know, and he could have. Don't you think he could have? Don't you think Jesus could have said, I'm going to make you believe. But do you think God really wants to make us believe or do you allow us to believe? He was willing to be rejected by men. He wasn't a people pleaser. Isn't that good for us to hear? How many times do we say, oh, i got to please them? No, you don't. You please God. But then we read verse 6. This, this floored me too. Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. Our inability to believe in Jesus Christ and trust him is truly and indeed amazing. Really? You, you don't believe in Jesus? Doesn't that amaze you? It amazed Jesus. Anywhere in Scripture, have you read that Jesus marveled at the, at the architecture or creation itself? Is, did we find anywhere where Jesus says, oh, Jesus was wowed by the mountains. Jesus was wowed at, at the marvel of the arch and architecture of the people of his day. Did anywhere in Scripture we read that he's ever marveled at human ingenuity or invention? Where Jesus is like, man, you guys created that? You're so smart. I'm amazed at that. 
Do we ever find that in Scripture? How about this? Jesus ever marvel at the piety of the religious people, the Jewish people, and how much they wanted to follow God, or the military of the Roman Empire? Did, was Jesus ever amazed at that? Like, wow, your soldiers are so in line. They, they're so good at following orders. Man, Jesus, wow, I was just amazed at all this, right? Not recorded. You know what is recorded about Jesus being amazed at? He was amazed at people's belief and unbelief. He was amazed at the belief of a centurion, right, who shouldn't be believing in God. He was amazed at his faith, and he was amazed at his own people who didn't believe in him. Unbelief is amazing, and I'll tell you right now, devastating. Because the children of Israel, the children of Israel, wow, God's people, right? The children of Israel, let's just sink in for a second, okay? In, in Exodus, you know, they get out of Egypt. They're God's people. And God says, I'm taking you to a promised land, a new life. And they get to start this new life, and they're all so excited, right? And then they get to the edge, and the, there's the promised land. They send the spies out, and they come back. And ten say, can't do it. Scary people. We're scared. We're fearful. We can't do this. And two say, yeah, we can't because God's with us, right? And what do the people do? We, we, we can't do this. What is that? That's unbelief. We can't go into that new land and conquer. We can't face our enemies. We can't face our opponents. We can't be victorious in this. What is that? That's unbelief. And the people, the children of Israel had unbelief. And what did God say? You're not trusting me? You're not believing me? Forty years. It should have taken 11 days for them to get in. Forty years back into the wilderness, wandering, 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 to all those unbelieving people died. Because of their unbelief, their lives were devastated. Their children got to see the promised land. But they as adults never did. And I go to the scripture, and I read Mark 6, 6. Let's read this again. Mark 6, 6. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Go back and read verse 5. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do anything mighty there. What's up with God's people? Why am I acting the way I act? Why are you acting the way I act? Have you ever asked that? Have you ever said, we're God's people? Why do we play church? When I hear other pastors and other people talk about their church and what's going on, I'm going, Jesus didn't die for that. He didn't die for Christians to act like unbelievers. And I'm amazed. And, then, and I read here then, as you read through Mark 6, if you didn't read through it this week with Mark 7, okay? But as you read through Mark 6, Check out what happens. Jesus sends out the 12 disciples. All right, hey, we're going to pair up. James, John, why don't you guys go together your brothers? Okay, that'll work. And, and you two together, and you two, and he starts pairing them all up, and he sends them out. Look what it says in verse, uh, verse 7. And he called his 12 disciples together, sent them out two by two with authority to cast out evil spirits. He sends them out to teach and to do amazing things. Go to verse 12. So the disciples went out, telling all that they met to turn from their sins. They cast out demons. They healed sick people. They anointed people with olive oil. Can you imagine that? Jesus says, okay, you 12? Two by two, go, boom. And they're out there casting demons, healing people, telling them that Jesus saves. What an amazing thing. They come back. Okay, so now they come back. Hey, Jesus, let's talk. Can you imagine what kind of homecoming that was? All 12 and Jesus get together. Hey, what happened with you? You know what I was able to do through the name of Jesus Christ? You know who I got to share Jesus with today? And they went on and they, they probably had all this emotion. But 
they had a good news, bad news moment. See, the bad news was the cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist, was just beheaded. His life was taken from him. The one who baptized Jesus, the one who prepared the way for Jesus, these disciples, some of them were actually with John the Baptist, following John the Baptist before they followed Jesus. Beheaded, gone. And they're thinking, wait a minute. A couple emotions probably flowed through them. He just got killed for what we're doing. Are we next? He just got killed, and I loved him as my brother. So there's tears. There's heartache. All this emotion. And we just tossed demons. We did this. And John the Baptist said, so got all these emotions. And then all of a sudden, all these people start gathering, it says. And that's when Jesus fed the 5,000. That was men, not including women and children. So there's probably, could have been 10, 11, 12,000. Who knows? So they've got all this mixed emotion going on, but yet they've got all these people around them. And Jesus says, what do we got here to eat? Uh, a couple pieces of fish, a couple pieces of bread. Let's feed everybody. <laughs> Come on, Jesus. Really? Yeah. And they did. And then Jesus is like, okay, whew, it's been a long 24 hours, hasn't it, man? Yes, Jesus, it has. We've, we've done all these things. We get all this emotion. John the Baptist, feed 5,000. Why don't you guys get a boat and head to the other side of the lake? I'm going to go pray. I need time alone with my Heavenly Father. Okay. They get in the boat. They start going. What happens? Storm comes up. And then what happens next? Jesus comes walking on water, defying gravity, walking out to them on water. It's a ghost. No, it's Jesus. Oh, who is it? It's Jesus. Check out what happens. Verse 51 of chapter 6. He climbed into the boat. The wind stopped. They were astonished at what they saw. Why not? They've been amazed at all, everything that he does, right? But look at verse 52. They still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of multiplied loaves. Their hearts were hard, and they did not believe. What is up with God's people? Are you serious? You just tossed demons. You told people about Jesus. You healed people. He just fed 5,000. He walked on water to you, defying gravity, and you're sitting there going, ah, still not getting it. What more do you need? What more do you need, disciples? And when they arrived on the other side of the lake, they anchored the boat and climbed down. The people standing there recognized Jesus at once, and they ran through the whole region, carrying people to Jesus. The disciples, I, I still don't get the whole feeding 5,000 and the miracles stuff. I don't know if I really believe. It says their hearts were hard. It means it was dull. Their hearts were dull. But the people who didn't know Jesus, what did they do? That's Jesus. Boom, they're running to him. Why is it that believers don't run to Jesus, but unbelievers do sometimes? When they discover the amazing power of God, they run. And believers who know the power of God, who believe in the power of God, just sort of kick back and say, that's my Jesus. Shouldn't we run too to him? I'm sharing with you with this, and again, I've never preached on this message this way because I'm sitting here thinking these disciples should be jumping up and down in joy. I mean, man, we're on the other side of the lake, and all these other people, we're running, we should be jumping for joy too, right? Why is it that the hearts of those who follow our heart and those discovering Jesus are pumped? And what fears me, and the reason I'm preaching on this, because what fears me is that people who say they're Christians those who follow Jesus get dull hearts. I don't want to be there. And I don't want you to be there either. That's what fears me as their pastor. Is I don't want to be there. And I don't want you to be there either. What scares me is when Jesus shows up, we act like we don't recognize him. What scares me is that we can get to the point of not believing as we should. You know what really scares me? Is that when the people stop believing, Jesus says, I'm out of here. 
Doesn't that scare you? Does that put a little bit of fear in you? That when we stop believing in Jesus, Jesus says, then you won't see what I can do. I want to see what Jesus can do. I want to see what Jesus can do with his people. I want to see what Jesus can do when the church gets on fire for him. When people say, I want to tell people about Jesus. I want to live like a godly man. I want to live like a godly woman. I want to, I want to be who I need to be to my neighbor. I want to start being the kind of person people can trust. I want to live above the level of integrity that everybody else is living. Oh, everybody in my locker room, everybody on my team does this. Not me anymore. Because I want to live like a believer. If I say I believe in Jesus Christ, then I want to live that way. Because if I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, but yet I'm not believing, I'm not proclaiming, I'm not really truly engaging, then what am I doing? I'm playing church. And the people in the synagogue that Jesus went to, the people in the synagogue, the church that Jesus went to, didn't even believe Jesus. See, what scares me is I'm not even close to Jesus, okay? I'm just one of his kids. And I'm trying to tell you what Jesus is doing, right? You don't have to believe me, okay? You don't have to say, well, Pastor Rex, you don't have to. But what you do have to do is believe in Jesus Christ. I'm not your Jesus. And you guys all knew that. I make enough mistakes, you know, to fill up five books, you know. Not worthy. But I feel like Paul a lot of times. Really, God, you want me to talk to these people? You know what kind of life I have? But I want you and me to say, Jesus Christ is my king. I want to know, I want to know more about him. I don't want to be like these people. I don't want God to send his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die for you and me so that Jesus can be the king of this church and then Jesus step in here and Jesus say, oh, you guys just don't get it. I'm out of here. I want this to be the kind of church that Jesus walks in and says, I'm welcome here. And these people are living for me. Listen, whether, whether we vote on a building, yes or no, it doesn't matter. We move forward and living for Jesus right? Whether our youth programs grow or not, whether we actually do more disciples, partners or not, we live for Jesus. When we put out a sheet that says prayer vigil, and, and, and I was sitting there thinking as Dan saying, you know, I'd encourage you. I'm sitting there, seriously? We got to encourage you to pray? Is this not a praying church? So why do we have to beg you to pray? Do you not believe in the power of prayer? As I kept preparing for this sermon, I'm sitting there going, got to do a heart check. Got to do a heart check. Sam in your heart. So they doll, listen, we're going to go another 10 minutes. I'm going to tell you right now. Are you okay with that or is it like you're missing supper? I'm going to tell you right now, your heart's going to be more important than your stomach. And for that reason, I want to encourage you and challenge you right now to just silently pray, God, start speaking to my heart. Start speaking to my heart. Because here's the thing, I don't want unbelief sneaking into our hearts as a church. I want you praying for me as a pastor that I am leading in a godly way. I want you praying for each other that you are living in a godly way. I want you to, to encourage one another to, to get truly honest with what's going on. What sin is creeping into your heart? I'm telling you, when sin creeps in, Jesus creeps out. 
What have you said about others that isn't true? Are you treating other people with little value? Are you blaming other people for things that really, that's my fault, my bad? Are you pointing your fingers at other people with ill feelings? Disrespect, lies, lust. You know, guys, we always talk about lust, right? But I think girls deal with it just as much in, in a different manner. In a sense of girls want to be loved so much that they will do whatever they can to bear themselves in an immodest way to get love. It's not right. And gentlemen, where are we at in protecting our sisters? Instead of Googling and thinking about it, we probably ought to protect them. Are we judging others? Am I judging? Are we taking the Lord's name in vain? I, I, I got really fired up this past couple. I'm just thinking about these guys in professional sports. They're getting fined for using a racial slur. So they use a racial slur. They get fined, kicked off the team for a couple of days. Go home and think about what you just did. But I can take the Lord's name in vain and people don't bat an eye. Really? I might call you an inappropriate name and I'm getting in big trouble. But I take the Lord's name in vain and nobody says anything. That's scary. What are we, we, I'm not saying you, what are we doing that needs to stop? What are we doing that needs to stop? I do not want to be a church of unbelief. I want to be a trusting church. I want to be a church that trusts God. Don't you? I want us to worship team to come forward and, and I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to do something different as we close, okay? So just, uh, again, a lot of times we always pack up like, oh, worship team's coming forward. Pack up the Bible, pack up. Don't pack it up, please. We're going to take about, like I said, about another, I don't know, 10 minutes here as we, we close. A very practical time, a hard examination. Because I, I really want to be faithful in leading. And I really want you to be faithful in following God. Not me, God. Sin has a way of dulling our hearts. And this is what I want you to do. Would, would you all please just stand with me? I want you to do this for me. I want you to take your hand. <coughs> Excuse me. Actually, hold on to this. I want to read scripture first. Sorry about that. I want to read scripture to you from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. This is David writing, by the way. Nathan the prophet has just come to him and said, I know about you and Bathsheba. David just like, broke, right? He gets that point. He says this, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. I see it, God, and it haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mom conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, God. I'll be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Church, God's called us to confession. God's called us to be clean before him. Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. Quit condemning yourself. Quit beating yourself up. Quit saying I'm not worthy to live for God because of this in my life. 
For those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you belong to Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation on you. Christ took it on the cross for us. So we need the confession. Whether you walked in here this morning not saying, I needed to confess some things to God, we're going to stop and take that time to do it. We cannot move forward as a church if there's unbelief in our hearts. We cannot move forward in our faith if there's unbelief in our hearts. And what creates unbelief? Sin. So confession is basically this. It's agreeing with God. God, you know what? I agree with you. I've done some stuff that I should not be doing. I've thought some things that I should not be thinking. I've said some things I should not be saying. I've judged people. I've said things about the church. You know what? When we complain about the church, you know who we're complaining about? The bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. When I rip on the former churches that I was a part of, guess who I'm ripping on? The bride of Christ. Anybody rips on my wife, I want words with them. You rip on the bride of Christ, you think Jesus wants words with you? Think about maybe what's going on in your life and how you're not trusting God. Right now, right where you're at, one hand, if you need to, do two. But take one, and I'm going to ask everyone, everyone. Nobody's exempt here. No, I'm too cool for this. No, he's not talking. I'm talking to everyone. Please put your hand out as if you're going to hold something. I want you to close your eyes. Keep your hand out there. And in your hand, I want you to just to see the vision. What is it? What is it that that sin that I've been holding on to, and I want you to just clench your hand now, make a fist. Just imagine, you have been gripping, you've been holding on to something you need to let go, whether it's lying, whether it's anger. Hold, maybe you're holding a grudge against somebody. Maybe you've just been playing church and you really don't believe. Maybe you're struggling with lust or dishonesty. Maybe your words don't honor God. You know what it is. God's Spirit's probably already telling you what it is. You're holding on to it. You're just clenching it, saying, I, 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 I can maybe let go of this sometime, but I don't know if I'm going to let go of it now. Just keep holding on to it. What is it that sin? What is it that you've been grabbing and you just say, I can't let go yet, not yet. No, I really like it. It's really pleasurable. Well, that's what sin is. It is pleasurable, right? But you got to let it go, right? First John chapter 1, verse 5 says this. This is the message he's given us to announce to you. God's light, and there's no darkness in him at all. So we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but we go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not living in truth. But if we're living in the light of God's presence, just as Christ is, we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from every sin. If we say we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and refusing to accept the truth. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned. We all got it. We're all holding on to something. We're all clinching something. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, come to you now and we're going to confess because we're going to agree with you that there's probably some stuff in our life that we need to confess. So Lord, start speaking to our hearts. Just tell us what it is. And Lord, as you're revealing that, as we're seeing it, as we're holding on to it, Lord, we're going to confess that to you now. We're sorry. We are so sorry. We agree with you that it's sin. And we're sorry. We confess to you, God.
forgive us. Help us to forgive one another as you are forgiving us right now. God, you say in your word in 1 John 1, 9, then you go on to say, if we confess our sins, you are just and faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, God. Thank you for cleansing us. Thank you for taking away that sin. So, God, right now we're just going to open up our hands. We're going to turn them upside down. We've let go. We're just letting go, and we're confessing to you, God. Take them away. They're yours. We're sorry. As a church, open up your hands. Let them go. Let go of those sins. Confess them all to God. Confess them all to God. Thank you, God, for forgiving us. Thank you for cleansing us. In the name we pray, amen.